0: Now, in the meditations of our hearts, always be acceptable in thy sight, for thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I want to start the sermon today by asking you a question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Why are you here? I asked that question to the 8 o'clock service and I'm asking it to you because it's actually the question that the Lord asks of Elijah. In the first reading, the Lord asks Elijah, What are you doing here? Right? And of course we could say different things. We, should, we could say that we're here because it's our duty, which is true. We're told by the, in the Ten Commandments that we're to keep the Sabbath holy, right? And to worship the Lord our God, and so we're here. But... Scripture, I think, and particularly the psalm today, has a different answer, right? Has a different answer to us. Why are we here? Because we're here seeking the very presence of the Lord. Look with me at Psalm 27, verse 4 particularly. It's in your scripture insert. where The psalmist says, One thing have I desired of the Lord. One thing I seek. And what is that? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. One thing have I desired of the Lord. One thing I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And with that desire, there's actually a promise that the Lord gives to us, which starts and ends that psalm. Look with me at it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? And the final verse, O wait for the Lord, be strong, and He shall comfort your heart. O put your trust in the Lord. So here we are, We just sang, we three kings, we're at the end of the season of Epiphany, we're looking uh, forward to Lent, or maybe we're not looking forward to Lent, depending on your perspective, right? Uh, There's good things that happen during Lent though, and that's coming up next, and here we are at the culmination of the season of Epiphany. Now Epiphany, we started with the feast of the baptism of our Lord, right, where we saw Jesus transforming the water into an agent of holiness and, and we saw the heavens open up and we saw the holy spirit taking the form of a dove and the voice from god saying what this is my beloved son and now we look at today's gospel right and here jesus takes with him three three apostles peter james and john and he goes up onto the mountain And he's transfigured before them. He's changed. They get to see him in all of his glory. And what does God say? The cloud overshadowed them. Verse 6. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Do you see how the lectionary has put as bookends to the season of Epiphany both, both stories where God is showing and revealing to the disciples who exactly Jesus is, the Son of God, the Son of God, to whom they're to listen, right? And so as we finish Epiphany, we're given the very story of the eyewitness and presence of God. And as we celebrated First Communion at our first service, So we are given the very presence and witness of God in the Holy Sacrament of Communion. Okay, that's the big picture. Now take a step back with me. Take a step back with me. And let's look at the Gospel. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, those of you that um, have sat under my preaching for any amount of time, you know, where's the first place that we go when we have a scripture passage that begins with something like, and after six days. And after six days. What's our natural question? See, this is the the disadvantage of lectionary preaching, right? We don't have the context. What's our first question? First question should be, and six days after what, Mark? Six days after what? What's going on that Jesus is now taking the apostles with him up onto a mountain to be transfigured? So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, open with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And we're going to look at this together. What's happened? Now, my 8 o'clock congregation was asleep and couldn't answer this question. So I hope that you're a little bit more awake. If you look at at earlier in chapter 9, you'll see that um, it it only begins right before our passage. But look back at chapter 8. What's the context of what's going on here? What's Jesus telling his disciples about? Just look at the subject headings or the titles in your Bible. What do we see? Go ahead and shout it out. His death. Yeah. His death. Jesus foretells his death and resurrection, my copy of the ESV says. What else? What else is in there? Peter confesses Jesus is the Christ. That's right. And what else? Jesus heals the blind man at Bethsaida, right? Now, when we're looking at after six days, what are we looking at? We're looking at Jesus taking the disciples after just telling him, telling them specifically for t- telling about his death and resurrection. Look with me at chapter eight, verses verse thirty-one, and he that is Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Now look again, we'll skip down to verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Do you see, what's Jesus doing taking the disciples up to the Mount of Transfiguration as we know it now? He's giving them as it were bread for the journey. He's giving them all of the substance that they're going to need for what lies ahead, for what lies ahead. And that's a common theme both in um, the Old Testament reading and in the Gospel, because what's going on in our Old Testament reading? Look with me there. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. Then he came to a cave and lodged in in it. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? What's going on with Elijah at this point? Right? Those of you that know this passage, that know this part of um, 1 Kings know. Why is Elijah up on the mountain? And indeed, he's on the mountain here. What's he doing? Yeah, thank you. He's running away. He's running away. He's running for his life because wicked Queen Jezebel is chasing him and has killed the prophets. He tells us as much, right? We read earlier in that passage, Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Do You see, Elijah has just had a very tough time too. And a great journey lies ahead for him as well. Right? He's so exhausted by prophesying that... He says, just let me die, Lord. I'm done. I'm done. But of course, the Lord doesn't let him die. Instead, he takes him up to a mountain. Are you seeing the theme? He takes him up to a mountain. And he's fed with angels. And he rose and ate and drank and went in strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And that's where our reading picks up with the Lord asking him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so again, I ask you, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Do You see, Elijah is desperate for the presence of God. The apostles, whether they know it or not, are desperate for the presence of God. And we are desperate for the presence of God. And why does God continually ask Elijah why he's there? He does it at least twice in this passage, right? What are you doing here, Elijah, he says. I don't think God's upset with Elijah. I think God is actually letting Elijah process his fear. And I think God is letting Elijah be see that he must be drawn into the presence of God. Notice uh, Kate actually um, I hope this isn't embarrassing, but it even tripped her up because he says it twice. Right? It's actually it, it's not a reprint. It, I mean it, it is a reprint, but it's there intentionally, right? When the Lord asks Elijah why you're here, look at Elijah's response. Again, this is in your scripture sheet, this is verse 10. I have been very jealous for the Lord, says Elijah, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And what's God's response in verse 11? And God said, or he, and he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, And what does that voice say? What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Do you see the Lord here is speaking in a low whisper his very presence to Elijah about all that he's experiencing, his fear, his pain is being driven out by this wicked queen. And notice what happens afterwards. Well, Elijah says it again in verse 14. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And what happens next? Well, Elijah is told to anoint a new king and a new prophet. He's sent away on mission, but notice he goes away, enabled to do that by speaking and hearing the very word of God, hearing from the very word of God, right, in that low whisper, by being in the presence of God. And so we see also in our Gospel reading The apostles, Peter, James, and John, taken with Jesus up onto the mount. And they are given this vision, this reality of who Jesus actually is. Jesus in all his glory is transfigured. They see Jesus as he is, not just as a man, but as the second person of the Trinity, as the Son of God, with whom God is pleased, and to whom they're to listen, right? And why? Why does Jesus do that? Because they too will have to pick up their cross and follow him as he has just told them. And indeed, the death that Jesus foretells about himself is their death as well. For they will have to die for the faith, all except John. And yet, every Christian, this is our story too, that we have to pick up our cross and we have to put to death our old selves, our old desires, the things that are not of Christ Look what St. Peter says. Who was there, right? St. Peter in our epistle reading is writing out of his own personal experience. Look at verse 1. He says, I think it's right as long as I'm in the body to stir you up by the reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Look at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. Do you see what St. Peter is saying? He's saying, it's not that I believe because someone told me, but I was there on the holy mountain. I saw the transfigured Christ. And I heard with my own ears the voice saying, This is my son. And that's his motivation to stir up the saints, to teach, to go forth, to be able to face the death that he's to face, the putting off of his body, as he says. Friends, we're called to no less. We're not called necessarily to martyrdom, though some of us may be someday but we are called to crucify our own flesh our old selves our own pa- our old passions and desires that are not of the Lord Jesus Christ and that's really hard and that's why we have the season of lent because we need a time to focus on that to let the holy spirit work in us to work on our disciplines to help us be more aware of who we are and and who God wants us to be. But notice, he doesn't say, go forward and improve yourself. No, he says, first, come to me. Like Elijah, like the apostles, come to me, be in my presence, hear my word spoken to you in a low whisper, and eat of my very presence, at my table. I will give you bread for the journey. I will give you comfort for the journey. I am with you in the journey always. And so, God, while he doesn't make us eyewitnesses, he does make us witnesses. And indeed, people who are able to eat his very self spiritually united to him in the sacrament of bread and wine and to hear his voice in his word. Why are you here? Why are you here? That's why you're here. Because it's we're here to dwell in the house of the Lord. We're here to tabernacle with him. We're here to that we might receive from Him comfort for our heart, as the psalm says. O oh, wait for the Lord. Be strong, and He shall comfort your heart. Oh, put your trust in the Lord. Friends, as we go forward from this place to whatever business we have to do this week, as we go to Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, as we enter into the season of Lent, we go with the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. He's with you all the way. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.